Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi there, I'm Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Salt. And if you're watching this, uh, it means my COVID test did not get back in time and uh, I'm stuck still isolating at home. <laughs> but it's great to be opening God's Word with you, even though we're doing it online like this. Uh, especially if you're new. If, you, if you're checking Jesus out for the first time, looking into this stuff, it's really good that you're here tuning in. I love dramatic transformations. I love dramatic transformations. There's something about this before and after that kind of, that inspires us when we see that thing. Whether it's TVs and movies, reality TV shows, whatever it is, uh, I love a good dramatic transformation. Karis and I have watched a bunch of renovation TV shows over the years, and uh, the best part of the show is that last five minutes when they have the grand reveal of the house. Uh, they show that the new house to the owners, and they're ecstatic uh, at the transformation that their house has gone through. Uh, and Karis and I are inspired to think about our own house and knocking out a few walls and putting in an island and having that same kind of dramatic transformation. I particularly love those infomercials you might have seen. They have a dramatic transformation. They have these bad actors who are struggling with just basic everyday life, household tasks, opening drawers or can't put on their socks or whatever. Generally black and white. And then they get some overpriced product for four easy payments of $9.95 and bam, their life is happy and they're good and everything's changed and it's a dramatic transformation. And in this passage today, we have an incredible transformation. The Apostle Peter changes before our very eyes. Two months prior, Jesus is on trial and a slave girl recognizes Peter and Peter freaks out. He freaks out and he's so afraid of being connected with Jesus who's on trial and he wants to distance himself, he, he lies, and he adamantly denies even knowing who this Jesus guy is. He, uh, in this passage, two months later, he appears before that same council, the same council that Jesus was appearing before, uh, and then there's this incredible transformation. Peter's not afraid anymore. He doesn't try and hide, he doesn't lie to get out of it. Instead, he preaches a sermon. He preaches a sermon to this council. He boldly proclaims Jesus and is proud to be one of his followers. Peter goes through this dramatic transformation. And when faced with opposition, he doesn't compromise. He preaches about Jesus boldly, preaches confidently. So my question is, why don't we? Why don't we? Why do we compromise when faced with opposition? Why don't we preach boldly and confidently? Well, I think we're often tempted to water Jesus down, to make Jesus more palatable, uh, or, to, or to keep quiet and not speak about Jesus at all. But not Peter. So here's what I want to dig into today. What does Peter understand that we don't? What can we learn from this passage to help us to be bold and unashamedly proclaim Jesus to those around us? This is a transformation that matters, not just a two-minute montage on a reality TV show, this matters. So let's pray that we'd get it right. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would be at work now, uh, revealing yourself to us. Help us to see what it looks like to live as your people in this world as we live our lives for Jesus. Amen. 
Well, first thing we see, we're going to look at three things. The first thing we see is that Jesus is the cornerstone of God's work. Jesus is the cornerstone of God's work. Peter and John have done some some miraculous things. Uh, just just we saw it last week. There was a man who couldn't walk. He was begging at the temple gate for years, his whole life, and everyone knew he was. He was a he was a local guy. He would have been there every day. People walked past him, and Peter and John heal him in the name of Jesus. And then Peter preaches to this crowd. This crowd want to know what happened. They see this guy dancing around just singing God's praises, and Peter preaches to them. And by now, the officials in the temple have heard what's happening, and they're not happy at all. Have a look at verse 1. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 1. Make sure you've got your Bible. Um, open your Bible and read it together. Uh, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about about 5,000. So they're arrested, and it mentions a group called the Sadducees. And they're one of the religious groups at the time, the most powerful of the religious groups. They're particularly upset with Peter and John because Peter and John are preaching about the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's why they're sad, you see. That's how I remember it, if that helps. Jesus, earlier, really ticked these guys off when he was preaching about the life to come. And they killed Jesus. But now Peter and John are telling everyone that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from death and the crowd are buying it. We're told that 5,000 more people believe in this message and added to that number. And presumably, uh, that's men, presumably women as well, more than 5,000. And the Sadducees are said to be greatly disturbed. They're really worried about what they're hearing. So they arrest Peter and John, throw them in jail until the next day, and they get all the bigwigs together to work out what to do with these two men. Have a look at verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law meet in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the others of the high priest's family, all the important guys. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? This is like an ancient courtroom, the equivalent of the Supreme Court. They would have been up to 71 Powerful officials there, powerful leaders of the Jewish community. And they're questioning Peter. It would have been pretty intimidating. They're all sitting there in a semicircle. Peter's there in the middle, and John, the most powerful men in the society. Pretty intimidating. And they have one question. By what power or what name did you do this? They know a miracle has been done. They can't deny that. The guy's dancing around. Everyone knew who this guy was. But they want to know, how did these two bogan men do this incredible thing? It would have been incredibly intimidating, but Peter and John aren't intimidated. Peter doesn't apologize for what he did. He doesn't defend what he did. Instead, he goes on the offense. He accuses these leaders here instead of doing the wrong thing. Have a look at verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. 
you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from death, that this man stands before you healed. Firstly, Peter asks, is it a crime to do an act of kindness? Why are you so upset? What's going on? If you do want to know why he was he- how he was healed, here it is. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. It's by his name that this man stands before you healed. So Jesus is the king of God's people, they're saying, and you, you killed him. But God had other plans. God raised Jesus to life again. Not just that. But Jesus is still powerful now. He is the one who healed this man. It's his name that this man was healed. Jesus' death, therefore, was not a failure. It was not the end. In fact, it was part of God's plan all along. Peter then quotes a passage that these, this group of people would have been well aware of. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the cornerstone in the olden days, that was the most important stone of a building. It was the first one that you would lay down when you're building some sort of giant thing out of stones. The first thing you'd build. And everything else kind of goes around it and off it and gets measured by it. It has to be good. It's got to be a good, solid, foundational stone. These men that Peter is talking to, these are the ones who decided that Jesus must die. They discarded him. They didn't think it was anything. They rejected him. They killed Jesus. And yet Jesus has become the cornerstone. He's central to God's plans to save the world. It's a powerful speech here by Peter. And the council are astonished by what Peter said. They see that Peter and John are unschooled. They weren't religious scholars. They didn't study. And they're amazed at their boldness and they're amazed at their understanding of Scripture. Peter certainly wasn't bold the last time. This council saw him. That time he'd almost wet his pants. He was so scared. And yet here he is, completely transformed. I think he was partly the reason he was so afraid back then. Is because it looked like everything was going wrong. Jesus looked defeated. Peter thought Jesus had lost. Peter thought everything that they'd worked towards for three years with Jesus, following him around, teaching and preaching and growing a crowd... It was over. Jesus was arrested and was about to be killed, and so that was it. But here he is different, transformed, preaching boldly. What's changed? The resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus rose from death. And Peter sees him many times, as many others did as well. And Peter sees that Jesus hadn't lost. It was not game over. In fact, Jesus had won. Jesus had the victory. And then Jesus ascends into heaven before their very eyes. And God's spirit comes down on Peter and John and all the other followers. And they finally understand. They get what Jesus' mission was. They understand what God is doing in the world and all his plans to save his people. They understand that Jesus' death was not defeat, but a victory. A victory over sin and death. They have God's spirit and they're compelled to share this knowledge, this news with everyone. The reason for Peter's boldness is because now he can see that Jesus is victorious. 
Jesus is central to God's new work in the world. He's the cornerstone to what God is building, saving and redeeming himself a people. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, Peter says. Peter doesn't have anything to fear anymore. And so he boldly shares the good news of Jesus with everyone. Uh, I've got a quick illustration here about soccer. Now, I don't normally use soccer illustrations, but it's Tim's last Sunday, and so I thought, you know, this is, this is for <laughs> partly for him. Um, but this is a 1994, I heard about this, 1994 Caribbean Cup Soccer League. Um, bit of a small game, but significant for the people there. All the fans, they were cheering on. It was Barbados and Granada, these two teams, versing each other. And Granada were at the top of the table, Barbados below. And Barbados had to win by at least two points to get into the finals, to get enough points in the comp. And they were winning this game, this game, Barbados versus Granada, they were winning 2-1. Right? So they had two points, Granada had one, there was a few minutes left in the game, but they had to win by at least two. So they had to win by at least 3-1 three, three to be able to get into the finals. And Granada now were playing really defensively. They didn't want Barbados to get another point and knock them out of the finals. Barbados, they had to get one more point to get into the finals, but they realized they couldn't. They only had a couple minutes left. They weren't going to be able to do it. So instead, rather than just accepting, accepting the victory, they were winning 2-1. <laughs> their fullback turned around and kicked the goal, kicked the ball into their own goalpost, into their own goal, and scored for the other team. Scored for the other team, 2-1, they scored, made it 2-all. Whistle blew, time up, fans upset, everyone confused, what's going on? This team just drew, they're about to win, what is going on? They went into overtime, five minutes, and they had the go- it was a golden goal rule. So the next goal wins, wins the game. But for some reason in this comp, a golden goal was worth two points. I don't know why, and it's, it's a bit of a weird rule. But the golden goals were two points. So they had a five minutes or thereabouts to score. And for some strange reason, with these weird rules going on, they did it. They did it. They managed to, Barbados were able to manage to score in that point, and they won the game 4-2. They had enough points to make the finals. The fans went from being confused and upset to seeing that their team had, wasn't, hadn't lost, but instead had the victory. And more than that, were in the finals. They were ecstatic. Everyone, and it was, it was a big uproar, and they ended up changing the golden rule thing because it was crazy, but they did it. They did it. They had the victory, even though it looked like defeat. And Jesus' death looked like defeat. It looked like it was over. Game over. It's all lost. His disciples had scattered. The crowds had made fun of him. People had mocked him and spat on him. It looked like it was over until he rose from the dead. And then everyone realized that Jesus has had the victory. It wasn't defeat, it was victory. And as Christians today, we can face opposition for following Jesus, similar to Peter here. Jesus says that he is the only way to be saved. That's not a very popular thing to say. Well, there's opposition to that message. People don't like hearing that they need a saviour. People don't like hearing that they need to stop living for themselves and start following Jesus. There's opposition to that. You'll face opposition if you share share that message. But in the face of that opposition, don't shrink back. We need to remember what Peter knows here, that Jesus rose from the dead. 
His death was part of this plan all along. Jesus is the victor. We don't need to shrink back. We can be bold like Peter. Even when threatened, Peter didn't want to stop preaching about Jesus. We see that in verse 19. It says, which, he says, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speak about what we have seen and heard. Peter has to tell people because Jesus is central to God's plans in the world. He's not going to stop doing it just because they ask him to or threaten him to. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see, the second thing that Peter understands, is that God is sovereign and in control. After more threats, Peter and John are released, and they go straight back to the rest of the church, and they tell them what happened. Now, have a look at what they do. The first thing they do, verse 24. When they heard this, that's when the church heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They pray this incredible prayer and praise God. But why do they praise God after being arrested? That seems like a strange thing to do. Well, they understand Psalm 2. That's the psalm that they quote there in verse 25. We read it before, the Old Testament reading before. The psalm speaks about the world's leaders trying to fight against God. And God just laughs. What are they going to do? He's not afraid of them. In fact, they're afraid of him. And the disciples say that this psalm predicted what would happen with them before the Jewish council. They see that this psalm, Psalm 2, is being fulfilled right in there before their eyes. The God who created everything, who reveals himself and has acted throughout history, this God is the one who's in control. Therefore, nothing can stop him. We don't have anything to fear. God's in control. Even the Romans can't stop God's mission. Have a look at verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Those in authority tried to oppose God by killing Jesus. But even in their opposition, they're doing God's work. They're trying to fight against God, but they end up working for God, fulfilling God's plans. The disciples keep praying, and it's interesting what they don't ask for. You'd expect them to pray and ask that God would stop this, or cease it, or reduce it, or help them to... Look at what they they pray in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They don't ask for the opposition to stop. They pray for boldness in the face of opposition and they pray that God would continue to use them. And in verse 30, they, that's what they say. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a great thing to pray for. They pray that God would keep using them in the face of opposition for his plans and purposes in the name of Jesus. Their first response is to pray. And often my I don't know if you feel this, but our responses are not to pray. When things are going wrong, 
my often my response is to try and fix the thing or to try and I don't know work it out myself there's sometimes though when something's so big you just there's nothing you can do and you're so aware of your insignificance and your smallness that you're the only thing you can do is to pray uh, last year one of my kids was in the ICU and we had a call from the doctors that he, he wasn't doing well and that we should come in in case we had to say goodbye and I remember driving from Wollongong up to Sydney and there was nothing I could do the only thing I think the only thing I could do is pray and so I prayed I remember driving in the car up to the hospital and just praying Lord you I don't know what's going on you know what's going on this is in your hands. I pray that you'd look after it. That's what I prayed. In the face of difficulty, is, is prayer the first thing you do, the first response? What are the th- some of the things we could do to help ourselves pray more? Particularly in the face of opposition, when things are not going well, when things are not going right, when things seem out of control, is your response to pray? So with this lockdown, uh, I haven't prayed a whole lot about it, to be honest. I'm just like, okay, I know what I need to do. Get the shopping, get the blah, 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 do all the things. Need to work from home, get the camera set up. All those kind of things. But I don't pray. So let's keep praying. Let's keep praying that even in this situation, we remember that God's in control, that he's sovereign. And pray that, that we would keep living our lives for him and doing the things that he wants us to be doing. Well, here's the last thing we see. Because we remember that God is in control. We can pray to him. That Jesus has not failed. He has the victory. He's the cornerstone of what God's doing in the world. And here's the last thing we see. Number three. God is with his people. God hears their prayers when they pray. These apostles, these disciples. And he answers them in verse 31. Verse 31. After they prayed, the, the place where they have... Sorry. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God shows that he's heard their prayers by making the room shake. And I've never been in a prayer meeting where this has happened, where the whole room's shaken. But this is God. He can do that kind of thing if he wants. And even though the room doesn't shake when we have a prayer meeting, uh, we can know that God is still with us, that he still answers our prayers as well. Because like them, we have God's spirit. We looked at that two weeks ago. God promises his spirit on anyone who trusts Jesus. And the disciples here have God's spirit and they pray And they're overcome by the Spirit, urged by the Spirit, and they continue to speak the word of God boldly. God answers their prayer. Do you speak the word of God boldly? I don't really. (laughs) But what stops us? I was thinking about this. What stops us? I think a big part of it is we don't pray. And ask. we don't pray this kind of prayer. We don't ask for boldness. We don't pray for it and mean it. How often do I pray for boldness in sharing the gospel with others? Not that often. Uh, to be honest, I'm much more likely to pray for other people. Uh, sometimes I'll hear, I'll hear about someone meeting up with their brother to talk about Jesus. And I think, great. I say, oh, that's really good. I'll, I'll pray for boldness for you. Or so-and-so is meeting, chatting about Jesus with their neighbor. Pray for boldness. That's awesome. I'm very happy for others to have gospel opportunities and to be bold in those opportunities with their friends and family. Not so keen myself to take those opportunities i'm guessing that's a lot of us here similarly but why i don't i think for me it's because i value people's opinion of me more than i value god's opinion 
of me. I think that's it. Maybe that's the same with you. We care more about pleasing others, about those around us, than we care about pleasing our Heavenly Father. It's an easy thing to slip into, but it should not be the case. It should not be the case. For the disciples, though, it was an easy decision. They didn't fear people, they feared God. They said, which is right, in verse 19, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you, counsel, or to God, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They care more about what is right in God's eyes than the eyes of people. And that's admirable. That's all, I'd love for that for us. We are unable to speak about what we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They said, like Peter says, they couldn't even stop speaking if they tried. Even in the face of being killed for talking about Jesus, they're going to keep doing it. And that's bold, and we can have that boldness too. We have God's Spirit in us. Like Peter, we don't have anything to fear. Jesus has the victory. God is in control. God is with us. We can be bold. And if you don't feel bold, pray. Pray that same prayer that these guys prayed. Pray for it. That's what, that's what they do in verse 29. It's a great prayer, and it's a great prayer that God loves to answer. Because we need boldness. It's not easy to be sharing the good news of Jesus with others. It doesn't come naturally, so we need to pray for boldness. It's not easy to do it, though. It's not easy to be a Christian. There's lots of pressure to conform and to be like those around us, uh, to not speak about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And I think the pressure for us, a lot of that pressure is to compromise. To compromise Jesus. Or to add qualifiers when we talk about Jesus. To take the things that Jesus says clearly and to add some maybes and kind of soften it and make it a bit more palatable, a bit more easy to swallow. Maybe you need saving, <laughs> that kind of thing. The good news of Jesus is for everyone Unless they've got their own beliefs and they really seem to be doing okay in life. You know, that kind of thing. Or I'm happy to share the gospel with someone who I know already agrees with it. You know, I'm happy to talk about Jesus at small group or at church. I don't really talk about Jesus at work. Don't really talk about Jesus when we're out with my mates. I don't know how they're going to... We make the gospel more tolerable. We water... Jesus down. We soften the things that he says. We don't speak about the truth that Jesus preaches. And there's pressures on us as individuals. There's pressures on us as a church to do that as well. To be a church that just talks about God's love, which is good, but never about God's judgment, which is actually also good. To not preach about something offensive and saying everyone needs Jesus. That, that's, that's a bit rude. Don't say that, please. The temptation is to compromise. But we can't compromise. Why? Because of what's at stake. Verse 12, there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. People need to hear about Jesus. He literally is their only hope in the world. And we're too scared, though, to tell someone they need Jesus because they might not like us as much. It's like being at a party. At the beach. The sun's out, music playing, sunscreen, smell of barbecue in the air, everyone's swimming, having a good time, and you notice in the distance sharks coming straight towards everyone. What do you do? I don't think there's no question what you do. You yell out. 
Shark! Hey, hey, hey! Get out of the water! Hey, turn around! There's some sharks! Get, get You know, you're going to die! We've all seen the trailer for Jaws. We know it's not going to end well, but no one's listening. You know, stop being a downer. Your neg vibes, they're ruining this party. You know, it's fine for you to believe in sharks. I'm not really a shark kind of person. You know, maybe just quieting down. No! Get out! Get out of the world! There's, there's actual sharks! Look, let me show... The Sanhedrin Council, they've got Peter and John, and they're telling him not to tell anyone about Jesus. But Peter knows. He can see the sharks. He's not going to stop talking about Jesus. He's not going to stop telling people about this message. He knows it's the only hope to be saved. He knows. So he talks about Jesus boldly. He says, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to keep sharing this message. And he does. And people are saved. We know the reality. We know that Jesus has died and risen again. We know that Jesus is the only way in which people can be saved. So we need to share this message. Even if we face opposition, and we will. Even if it's hard, and it will be. We need to share the saving message of Jesus with those around us. With our friends, our family, our neighbours, our city. This is why we're planting a church up north with Tim and Alita and the crew. There's hundreds of thousands of people in, in Illawarra swimming around with sharks infested waters and they don't even know. We need more churches. We need more people to tell them. We need, we need people to preach the gospel. God's put us, his people, in Wollongong to do that. We need more churches to save more people. That's why we're launching another church. We pray that we do that again. Launch more churches. We, as individuals, we want to be sharing the gospel boldly. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Do you believe that? If so, who could you share that message with? We've got Why I Believe coming up. It's online because, you know, things are a bit different at the moment. But you could still invite someone. It might even be easier for them to watch it from home. Who could you invite? Who's someone that you could invite? Invite someone along. It might sound scary to invite someone along. It is a little bit, to be honest. It is a little bit, but it doesn't need to be. <laughs> this is a funny... I invited someone last time, a friend of mine, and I said, hey, not sure if you'd be interested in this, but we've got this thing, and it could be really interesting for you, and he said, ah, oh, nah, thanks. Not interested. And that was that was fine. We're still friends. We still talk, you know. No, no, he didn't. He wasn't offended. I'm not offended when he invites me to his stuff. So, you know, let's do it. Just invite someone. You never know, because they might come along and hear about Jesus and be saved. That would be amazing. Or if you're checking Jesus out, if you're here watching this, you're checking Jesus out, you still come along to Why I Believe. The details are on our website. We'd love for you to hear why, why we believe about Jesus and the hope that can be found in Jesus. We'd love for you to be part of that. Let's be bold and share the good news of Jesus, because people need to hear it. Peter and John understood that. And I pray that we would understand it too. Jesus' resurrection was real. He really did die. He really did rise again. That happened. The apostles saw it. It dramatically changed their life. God is powerful. He's in control. Whatever happens is part of his plan. So we don't need to panic. We don't need to fear when things seem to be going wrong. But like them, we've received God's spirit. So we can be bold like them even in the face of opposition. So how about I pray that we would do that?
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death and resurrection. That through Jesus, we can all be saved. We thank you for this amazing news. We pray that even when it's hard, even in the opposition that we face as we share this message of Jesus, that we'd be bold. Help us to remember that Jesus is not uh, failed, that he's the victor, that you are in control and sovereign and that you have promised to be with us, with your, with us by your spirit. So we pray that we'd be bold in the face of opposition, that we'd be sharing the good news of Jesus with others. We pray that by your spirit you'd be saving many people for yourself. Amen.